0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Again, as far as things jumping out of me, I had a cat jump out of me in the middle of a quarter.
0: <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp back on the Ag News Daily podcast. And Mike, what are you doing today? I am hanging
2: out in downtown Des Moines, waiting for a megabus to take me back to Chicago. So you'll hear the groan of traffic in the distance. You'll hear the the hubbub of activity here in downtown Des Moines as the city bustles around me.
0: That sounds like lots of fun.
2: It is, Madison. I tell you what, but... You've also got big news. If I understand correctly, school has started again. Is that right?
0: Yes, it has. I had two classes today right at 8 a.m., but I was done by 10, so I can't really complain.
2: No, no, that's not terrible. You're done by 10, you know, and it feels like 8 a.m. classes. You can probably miss about half of them and still be fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. terrible (laughs) advice.
2: Don't take college advice for me, Matt. Well, let's see, Madison Hemp, what is going on in the world of agricultural news today?
0: Well, one thing that stuck out to me, stuck out at me today was this hemp court battle that has been going on really since January um, about the truck driver that was tra- transporting hemp that was grown in Oregon to be processed in Colorado and was stopped for random inspection at a weigh station in Boise, Idaho. Obviously, they were unable to immediately distinguish between hemp and marijuana, so authorities did charge the driver with trafficking marijuana and was then sentenced to a minimum of five years in prison. And right now they're really debating this in the court um, because there's lots of gray areas following the hemp legalization in the, the 2018 Farm Bill, especially since this isn't quite a federal law yet, but the authorities did seize about Seven thousand pounds of hemp, and that's Im- estimated to be one point three million dollars. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a little bit crazy. I thought, and but right now they are currently working to determine if hemp can be transported across the country, either by truck, plane, or mail. And this court case is definitely going to determine how hemp is really processed in the United States and how we're gonna go about the legalizing it and regulating it um, federally. But the USDA did attempt to kind of clear up this confusion in hemp transportation. In May, they released a legal opinion that states that it will be forbidden from preventing the transportation or shipment of hemp. But once again, it's not quite approved, So, it, but we should see it released this fall.
2: And that's a weird phrasing of that statement, Madison. Mm -hmm. The USDA will be prevented from forbidding the transport.
0: Yeah. I did not really understand that. So really, I guess you can't, or um, officials will be able to stop it. Yeah, they'll allow it and officials won't be allowed to stop the transportation so that we don't have this situation come up again.
2: Well, good. That'd be good news. I hope this driver can get things sorted out so he doesn't spend the next five years hanging out in the pokey. Exactly. Well, I tell you what, we've got other news in the world of agriculture. It was announced this morning, or or perhaps late yesterday, that um, at the G7 meeting, uh, President Donald Trump and Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe have come to an agreement in principle on this new trade deal they have been discussing. And importantly for ag... Ag was initially going to be left out. President Trump said, no, we're not going to talk deals unless you put ag back in. So they did. And so now we've got an agreement coming. It'll probably be written up over the next few weeks and will be signed at some other big meeting at the United Nations when, when everybody's back in New York City. Um, but it, it is good news. One other thing we saw was that the Japanese made announcements that they are going to purchase large amounts of American corn. We don't know exactly how much, how many bushels they're going to buy, or do we, nor do we know how much money they are going to spend. Those two things would be directly correlated. But um, we at least have, have word that the Japanese are very interested in purchasing some excess grain from the US. So that could be good news for America's corn growers, especially in places that rely on that Pacific Northwest market, which has been gone since uh, China has kind of backed out of the picture.
0: Yes, definitely. And I mean, hopefully we can also get a trade deal with China, but I don't really see that happening anytime in the near future. Well, it's interesting
2: you bring that up. So, <laughs> President Trump earlier today predicted a trade deal with China very soon. Um basically he said that um since the Japanese, excuse me, the Chinese have been making moves to quote calm the negotiations. They have opposed any an increase in trade tensions, and President Trump said these are all positive signs and that they are getting close to making a deal. So we'll see.
0: Okay, we'll see. Yeah, definitely. I always feel like we haven't really gotten the full story on the whole China trade deal. So right, it'll be a wait and see deal.
2: absolutely it's been 90 percent done for 18 months so we'll see if we can ever get this sucker across the finish line
0: yeah because what it was supposed to be finalized what in may of this year or geez
2: like like no 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 march yeah yeah you're right there was
0: one supposed to be done in march and then one like last year also
2: yes and they just keep dragging on so we'll see we will definitely while we're talking China, we've got a report out from F.C. Stone looking at Chinese pork imports. As uh, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, African swine fever has swept through China, decimating their hog herd. And so F.C. Stone anticipates that the Chinese are going to more than double their meat imports or excuse me, their pork imports um, over the next two years, so right now they import about 2.1 million metric tons. Uh, FC Sone sees that going to 3.3 million tons this year and 4.2 million tons in 2020 as uh, the Chinese government tries to get a handle on ASF and how they can continue to feed their people. So I thought that was interesting, and, and we'll talk hogs in just a little bit on our Market Monday segment with Ted Seifried.
0: Yes, we definitely will, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw China Getting a lot more um, protein imports, especially with all of that. And they have a lot of people to feed, so. They sure do. Yes. But. Looking, what news
2: do you have for us, Madison?
0: Well, looking forward, obviously, cl- climate change has been in the news a lot. But Bernie Sanders released an eye popping $16 trillion climate plan that could invest about 14- $410 billion dollars to help farmers uh, with carbon and um, cope with the extreme weather effects. This obviously is going in with the 2020 Democratic candidates. This has been a huge topic coming up, especially with the election year. And his plan calls for the agriculture industry to transition to regenerative practices and increasing conservation programs to $24.85 billion and hopefully reducing their environmental footprint and supporting organic farming. But also, he wants to set aside about $41 billion specifically for socially disadvantaged and farmers who are just starting up their operation. Okay. All Mm -hmm. right. That's a...
2: That's a big number. That's $16 yeah. trillion. Dollars.
0: That kind of got me, that kind of took me by surprise. I don't think it'll be 16 bill, or $16 trillion, but I do like the, I also don't think it'll be this high, but the $41 billion for, especially new um, farmers who want to start their own operation. Because I know, even here at school, I know a whole bunch of people that, you know, their family has kind of gone away from the farm and they want to restart that way of life, really.
2: Absolutely. And there are great programs out there. We talked last week with uh, USDA's Rural Development Program. And, of course, we've got the Farm Service Agency with some fantastic uh, beginning farmer loan uh, programs. So, yeah, there are great options out there. And it's glad to hear that presidential candidates are at least talking about it, even if it is just kind of a bid to buy votes. (laughs) At least it's on their radar. Yes, definitely. Well, Madison, do you have any other news for us here on this Monday, August 26th?
0: I am all out, Mike.
2: All right. Well, I just have one other update because we will be talking with Ted Seifert about the pro farmer crop tour. He was on that. He will give us his insights and we do have the pro farmer number. They anticipate this year's corn crop will come in at 13.358 billion bushels with an average yield of 163.3 bushels per acre. And they're looking at soybeans to be 3.497 billion bushels with an average yield of 46.1 bushels per acre, both substantially, or both, I won't say substantially, both below the USDA's uh, recent estimates in their last WASDE report. So we'll get into detail with that with Ted here in just a moment after we discuss the markets. Are you ready, Madison Hong Kong?
0: Yes, I am.
2: All right, folks. Well, here we go. We've got a mixed day today in the corn markets. The September contract was down one and a quarter at 358 and a half. December was up a half, finished the day at 368 and a quarter. Looking at soybeans, big up today, off the highs, but definitely still in the green. September beans were up 10 and a half cents at 853 and three quarters. With the November contract up 10 and three quarters to close the day at 867 and a quarter. In Chicago, wheat a little bit of red on the screen today. The September contract dropped two and a quarter cents to 473. Even. Even December down two and a half, finishing the day at four seventy five and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, we saw the livestock market catch a bid today. Green all up and down the screen. Looking at October live cattle, they were up a dollar sixty to finish at one oh one even. December up a dollar sixty. Day at one oh five ninety five. 50. In feeder cattle, the September contract was up $2.75, closed at 136 even. October up $1.85, finishing the day at 134.3750. And hogs, October went limit up on the expanded limits of today. It was up the daily trading limit of $4.50, closed at $63.80, with the December contract up almost the limit closed higher by $4.25 to finish at sixty three oh two and a half. and a half. And we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry looking at class 3 milk. We've got a little bit of green on the screen. October class 3 milk was up a penny at 1760 with the September up a nickel finishing at 1727. Without further ado, let's toss it into our market Monday discussion with our good friend Ted Spicer. Well, folks, for our Hashtag Market Monday, joining us is our good friend and co-worker of mine, Mr. Ted Seifert. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Mike, how are you guys? We are – well, I won't
2: speak for Madison. I'm fantastic. Madison, how are you?
0: I'm doing great.
2: Glad to hear it. Ted, we got to get good. caught up. You spent last week out on the road touring fields as part of the Bro Farmer Crop Tour. Give us your thoughts. What did you see? What jumped out at you? And you were on the western leg. Is that right?
1: That is correct. I was on the western leg, and as far as things jumping out of me, I had a cat jump out of me in the middle <laughs> of a cornfield, which was the first for me. It's usually a dogs, but the cat it was a very aggressive guard cat, I guess. Um, well, no, uh, what jumps out of me? Uh, well, as usual, crop tour for me is exhausting because you know I'm I'm out there. uh doing the tour and scouting crops, but I'm also trying to uphold my day job and then a whole bunch of media that goes along with it. Um, But overall, it's a very rewarding thing, and I highly encourage anybody that gets a chance to do so to do it. That being said, what did I see? Um, You know, I was going out there with an idea thinking that maybe I was going to see something to make me believe that this corn crop is a lot smaller than what I was originally thinking. Uh, Maybe these 153, 154 estimates that we've been hearing could be accurate. I didn't really see that, Uh, unless we're not going to cut out a whole lot of acreage for harvested acreage. um, I I think the corn, for the most part, is out there. Now, we have some very significant problem areas, and that in particular, for me, was the whole state of South Dakota um, that that I went through. And then a good portion of northern Nebraska, some of it is still lingering in Iowa and, and Minnesota, and that is corn that is just really really far away from hitting the finish line i can't imagine it getting uh really making any grain before a frost and even a normal frost or even a slightly late frost so you know, i think there's going to be acres that do get taken out of harvested acreage and that that's really been my contention since before i went on tour uh i think my ideas on that are, are fairly solidified i think the usda's yield might not be too high maybe it's a bushel or too high uh but i think that we're likely going to see a million and a half to 2 million to possibly 3 million, depending on when a frost might come, uh, taken out of that harvested acreage number. And that will reduce our production. I still think that we're going to end up seeing a production number between 13.4 and 13.6 billion bushels. It's not a complete catastrophe. It's not that sub 13 billion bushel crop out there that I, I, a lot of us were talking about. And even with an early frost, uh, while that would take a bigger chunk out of production, I still think the math, the math to get us, below a 13 billion bushel production crop here it just doesn't add up to me i don't see that um so you know corn was the story of the spring i'm not so sure it will be the story of the fall now that brings well, me to soybeans yeah I we was had, a case, Ted, you've been yes. in this
2: soybean drum for a couple of weeks and did crop I tour have. really drive it home
1: yeah, I've been, I've, been, I've been wondering about that for a couple of months, but I've been really vocal about it in the last couple of weeks, saying exactly that. You know, corn was the story of the spring. I think soybeans will be the story of the fall. And the reason for that is because, you know, given the weather that we've had, uh, I, I, we've had a pretty massive um, – it's been pretty good weather for corn. It's not been ideal for soybeans. And going out there on crop tour, pod counts are coming in well below our expectations on the eastern tour, they were saying they're still seeing a lot of uh, soybean plants that are adding pods, that are blooming and adding pods at this point. I did not see that on the west. Uh, so, you know, maybe the east eastern crop can continue to grow a little bit, but the western crop, I think, is what it is. And it's it's not great. Um, the pod counts being down as much as they are. Say, you know, when we say pod counts are down twenty percent in some places, it doesn't mean the yield's going to be down twenty percent because you know, with less, less pods, that plant is going to try to fill the pods it does have better. So that yield will still be pretty good. It's just not going to be. You know, we should, we we just don't have the number of pods out there. So. Uh, For me, I think that the soybean crop national average yield is probably going to end up between a 44 and a 46 half. Um, That's kind of dependent on when the frost might come. But that's not a – I still think the USDA has more – has to come down on the national average yield. That the demand side of the soybean equation is pretty set in stone. I mean, we're already very pessimistic about what our exports might be. Our crush is going to increase, you know, 20 to 60 million bushels as it does every year unless we get over $12 soybeans. Uh, so I, the demand for soybeans, I don't think what the USDA has on the balance sheet, I don't, I can't take much away from that. So if we start lowering production, that comes directly off the ending stocks. I think ending stocks very likely can end up somewhere between a 550 to 450 million bushel carryover, um, which would be less than half of what we were talking about back in the July WASDE report. So, that by itself is pretty friendly. And then, what happens if we do get a trade deal? We'd probably run out of soybeans at that point. So, I think we have to put in a bit of a premium for South American planting season. We have to put in a bit of a premium if we start talking more friendly about trade deals, which we did see that a little bit here today. Uh, and again, I think there's fairly significant upside potential in soybeans. I'm getting more bullish soybeans. And I think that can carry corn and wheat along with it. Now, I don't think corn has fundamental reason on its own to go and see new highs. I think that uh, 473 and three quarters will probably hold us at this point. Um, but like I said, if we get a little bit of help from soybeans, we could have a halfway decent recovery, harvest recovery, ha- harvest bounce. And keep in mind, generally speaking, the second best rally we see during the year happens between the beginning of September and the end of December or the first couple weeks of January. Uh, that's also usually the second best time to sell some corn, to market some corn. I think we're going to see that very much so again here this year.
2: So Ted, let's talk about soybean pricing. If we are at that four fifty to five
1: fifty million bushel carryout,
2: where does that put bean prices this fall? I, I, can we shoot for ten bucks?
1: Yeah, I think ten dollars is a very realistic target. In fact, I'm starting to wonder if ten fifty might be in the cards. Again, a lot of that depends on when we do get that frost. And the sooner, obviously, the sooner we get the frost, the the higher we're probably going to have to go in both corn and beans. But I think a ten dollar I think expectations for ten dollar January beans is fairly realistic it's only about a dollar and twenty cent rally from where we 're at right now, and I think soybeans can do that pretty easily
2: well, let's talk about the wheat market a little bit ted It's been under pressure of course from corn. We did see that announcement earlier today that the u s Japan trade deal is done in principle. Anything there that could bring some life into uh, into wheat
1: yeah i mean the 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 trade deal with Japan is interesting, uh, and it 's interesting for corn too, because I mean for the last ten years, Japan has been our number one de- destination for u s corn and wheat exports uh, so for them to say that they 're going to buy more from us that is that 's encouraging. however, we don 't have a time frame we don 't have any any amounts, so without that it 's kind of difficult to 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 really get too excited. The other thing is I mean, if you look at what they 're importing, they 're importing most of their corn and wheat from us. So let's say corn, for example. I don't have the numbers in wheat for in front of me, but let's say corn, for example. Last year, they imported 15.7 million metric tons of corn. Well, 13 of that came from us. So, you know, if, they're, if they were to just import all of their corn needs from us, that's really not that big of an uptick from what we saw last year because, again, they're, they're really relying heavily on us. And given the trade issues that we've, we're having with China, I, I think they see that. And they don't want to close off their other channels. So I think it's hard to, to see much more, uh, exports to Japan in corn and wheat than what we're currently doing unless they have an intention to build their stocks, which very well may, may be the case. But I don't think it doubles what they're currently importing. So I don't, I don't think we're going to add an additional 15 million metric tons of demand for corn. Uh, and that's really what we need. The same thing for wheat. So it's positive. It, it's, it's, Definitely in the positive category. But is it the silver bullet to fix these markets? No, I don't think so. Um, but, like I said, we're getting in a time frame where, you know, the USDA's balance sheets for both corn and soybeans and then possibly for wheat, too, are probably as big as what we're going to see going forward. Those numbers start coming down on the production side. The demand hopefully starts to get better on exports as we get into more of our export season and South America runs out of their crops. Um, I think there's going to be a time frame here where things look a lot better than they are right now. And so I'm looking for wheat to kind of carve out a bottom here somewhere fairly soon. We failed the trend line today, so today's not the breakout day that we uh, were, you know, hoping we might see someday. Uh, But I think at some point here in the next uh, week to ten days, we'll start to see kind of an overall turn in the grain markets.
2: An overall turn, man, that would be news to a lot of producers' ears, but would of course put more squeeze on our livestock producing friends. Ted, what is your outlook here? What is your outlook, I should say, on the the livestock markets?
1: Yeah, Um, you know, uh, grain prices, corn in particular, and also soybean meal prices have come down enough that I think I, I don't uh, uh, a big rally in the grains is going to hurt livestock too much. You know, for cattle, we've been, we've continued to been uh, the, the big thing that we had to digest was the Tyson plant burning up in flames and the loss of production that that meant. Well, in order to offset that loss of production, the market had a job to do, and that was to make Packers' margins really good – in order to regain some of that lost production. When we saw cash trade solid, flat, yes, last week, I think that's the market signaling that we've done most of the work that we need to do there. Now we're trying to, trying to here on a Monday, uh, come back up a little bit and find out <clears throat> when we start cutting that demand back out. So uh that's really been the feature of the cattle market i think there is more upside potential i'm bullish domestic demand in cattle and i think over time we should see levels get back to and above the levels we were trading before the tyson plant caught fire uh so for 115 D slive cattle is a big target for me to the upside i think you know i think that's a fairly realistic expectation as far as hogs are concerned you know, we've just been very, very disappointed in the hog market because of the lack of Chinese business that we were so sure we were going to be seeing by this time frame. We just haven't seen that. We had one big flash sale and a couple uh, – or one big weekly sale and a couple and decent or, you know, pretty good weekly sales. But for the most part, we've been very disappointed. And so we have gone uh, from, you know, trading – 63 and change uh, back before ASF all the way up to 90, and then back down to 63 and change. We've taken all the ASF premium out. However, I think at some point here fairly soon, China is going to have to start buying from us. I'm watching their market closely. They had uh, a lot of uh, – when this when this all started, uh, they had a lot of products come into the market. They've been working through that. Their domestic prices continue to rise. Uh, I am bullish hogs uh, longer term still, too. Ted?
2: We always appreciate your insights. You bring a wealth of knowledge to us. Tell us, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to discuss these markets further?
1: Absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at that's com. You can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our Morning Ag Hedge Newsletter, which Mr. Mike Pearson has something to do with. Um, and then you can also find me on the Twitter at, at the Ted Spread.
2: Well, as always, appreciate taking the time to talk with and learn from Ted Seifried. Madison, if our listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, where should they go to do so?
0: Well, Mike, listeners can always find us at our website at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, but they can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, really anywhere that you can find podcasts at agnewsdaily.
2: Absolutely. And they can... Uh, Find us on the social medias as well. We're on the gram. Thanks to you, Madison. You can find Mm -hmm. us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we are there. With that, Madison, should we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.